boss, I definitely think it's important I use periods, commas, and question marks all the time. For some of you, it went... Frugal man teaching his eight-year-old son how to be very responsible with money and so he orders a pizza and he takes his son to the pizza shop tells him you go pick it up I'm gonna give you a $20 bill a $2 coupon and you go get that pizza and you come back the boy comes back with the pizza the change and the coupon would they not take the coupon son he said I'm sure they would have but he didn't need to we had enough (laughs) missing the point Every one of us does this on occasion. Something is said or done, and we totally miss why it was intended for us or what was intended, and we take it a different way. Sitcoms, comedy sitcoms are built on missing the point. And it can be funny. It can produce such weird things, but it also can be very serious. I remember a few years ago in the national news, there was this woman who parked her car and locked it had her infant son in there. She was just going to the mall for a few minutes. And so she comes back out. She realizes she'd locked her keys in her car. It was hot, and it was starting to compile time, right, and compile heat. And she called everybody she knew who had a spare key. No one could, was, at, was accessible at the time. She didn't know what to do, and she's frantic, and she's panicking. And this guy comes up to her and says, what's wrong? He says, well, my child is stuck in this car, and I cannot find a key, and no one can help me get in it. He says, that's easy. He picks up a rock and he shatters the window. She sues him. When the value of a window is greater than the value of your infant, you're missing the point. Something is terribly wrong. In our world, it can be like this. And i got to tell you, you look at Scripture, and there are people who miss the point of what God says a lot. Nadab and Abihu, listen, you get fire from this. I'm just telling you, this is where you get the fire. That's where I want it. And they think it's no big deal, and they miss the point. Cain, this is what I mean by a sacrifice. I don't know what you mean a sacrifice to be, but here's how God says a sacrifice is defined, and he misses the point. Saul, I want you to go in and obliterate these people, Amalekites, I want you to take them out. I, I don't want one of them survive. And he saved some of them for a, a sacrifice, and he's missed the point. And for a while, Peter did too when the sheet was lowered down, thinking that was about animals. Jesus comes along, and, and it's like he, he says, guys, you've missed the point on so many things. When God said don't murder, what he means is don't even hate people. And when he says, don't commit adultery, what he means is control your inner desires and your lust. He doesn't just mean an act. He means the heart. And when he says, don't bear false witness and don't tell lies, he means every word needs to be truth. I want you to know you've been missing the point for a long time, and we can do that still today. At the end of chapter 11, where we were last time, Jesus comes along and he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I'm going to give you rest. And then take my yoke on you, and, I will, and, and you will find rest. Jesus is the Sabbath for us. And it's interesting. As soon as you turn to what we call chapter 12, when Matthew wrote it, there was no gap here. There was no division here. And he goes right into this. And Jesus, in these two stories at the beginning of chapter 12, he is defining what he means by Jesus being the rest. And he's using Sabbath. The Pharisees had missed the point of the Sabbath, and we still, too, do, we still do as well. I know there's no Sabbath command in the New Testament. 
But keep in mind why the Sabbath was a command in the first place. In Exodus chapter 20, he says, here's why the Sabbath is important and you're to keep it and remember it and keep it holy. It's because God created the world in six days and on the seventh day he rested. Now, you know God exists outside of time. But for whatever reason, he enters time and he shows us and he demonstrates in creation how he expects the creature to operate six days of work and a day of rest. Is that still true, that God created the world in six days and on the seventh day rested? It's still true, isn't it? It's a rhythm of life that God demonstrated for us, I want you to live like this. And while we don't have the regulations of the Old Testament, the Sabbath principle is built into creation, not in the Old Covenant. It was before the Old Covenant was ever ratified at all. It was built into creation. And I want you to think of everything in the New Testament that was grounded in creation that's still in effect because of that. So they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, can, can people divorce for any reason? I don't want to talk about divorce. Let's talk about marriage. In the creation, in the beginning, God intended one man, one woman for life, and it's still in effect. Is that still true? It's still true. I don't care what the Supreme Court defines it as, and I don't care what our country ends up encouraging. What God says is marriage is one man, one woman for life, and he built it in creation, and it's intended to stay that way forever. But that's not the only thing. Male servant leadership in the family and in the church. Where did that come from, Paul says? Creation. Created the man first, gave him the command, gave him the job, then brought him the woman to be his helpmate. He was supposed to be a servant leader for his wife. That's still true today for the same reason. It was rooted in creation. You know what happens if you don't work? You don't eat. You know why? Because in creation, God made man to work to have a con constructive purpose for existing. All this stuff is rooted in creation. There's one more, by the way. The value of human life. The value of human life will always be because of one thing. In the beginning, God created the man and the woman in His image. And forever until the end, that's the rooting of our value. And if someone wants to call into question Genesis, they're going to call into question the value of human life, and then we're in real trouble. And so, even in to creation, he, he appeals to creation in this way, that God says, I want, there to be, I want there to be a day, this rhythm of working six days and then resting one. And so here's the principle, and I think this is the important thing to get. Physical activity has a huge bearing on spiritual maturity and growth. Physical activity has a huge bearing on spiritual development. If human, hum, human beings were left on their own, they would work all the time and kill themselves. The primary difference between human beings made in God's image and all the other things in the animal kingdom is this. We can reflect and we can learn. But when we don't, we're acting like animals. We're acting like robots. And in creation, God knows this. He says, if we don't force ourselves to stop and have time to reflect, we will be just like the rest of the animals. We'll be no different, and our God image will die. And so he built Sabbath into creation. I think it's still in effect. The Sabbath principle is still there because creation's principles and lessons are still in effect. 
Here's what he's getting at, though. If you don't have a day to be different than every other day, if you don't have time periods in your life where you stop and you reflect and you think and you refresh your mind and your spirit, you'll never worship God and you'll forget why you're here and your life will lose its meaning. So take one day, he says in the Old Testament, take one day not to work, no one, and you rest and you reconnect with God and you reconnect with each other. But the only rule was don't work. That was it. No real elaboration. Whatever you did the previous six days, don't do it and take a day to do things you couldn't do before and rest and reflect. I don't want you feeling it full of junk so where you lose that one day and it becomes like every other. I want it to be different. And then the Pharisees jump in there and they put all these rules about what counts as work, how far you could walk, what you could eat, what you could do, and suddenly it became a burdensome exercise to even know what you could do on the Sabbath day. To where if a husband and wife decided we want to go for a walk in the woods, be in God's creation, pick those raspberries or blackberries and eat them and just, ref- just be out there in God's creation, the Pharisees would say, no, how far have you walked? And when you reach down, you pick that berry. Is that work? And all of a sudden, the things that you could even do that would allow you to reconnect with God were outlawed by them. What, what, if, what if a father and son, wanted to, after they came back from Sabbath church, they wanted to go play flag football in the backyard? That's reconnecting with each other and with God and just enjoying creation? No, 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 because your heart rate would get too high and it would be considered work. All these regulations became just like a burden. And suddenly what was supposed to be restful and enjoyable became another thing of handcuffs, right? And Jesus says, I don't want that to happen. Now before we get to chapter 12 and the story that Jesus tells, or it's told about Jesus, I want you to know this, that our physical activities and the pace of our lives has a great bearing on our spiritual lives. We're not supposed to work and run and get to this obligation and that one and overload ourselves and never have quality time to nurture our spiritual lives. It's not supposed to be that way. And many of us do this. The lives that we're living are so crazy. You don't have the option. I hear so many times people say, we just don't have time to read our Bibles or meditate on Scripture or just pray. Just pray in a, in a, in a calm, reassuring easy-going way. We can't have spiritual discussions. We're too busy. We load ourselves down with obligations. We've got our work, and we've got our running around with this and our extracurricular things that we do. And if you do have time, you cram it with useless junk over on top of everything else, and suddenly you push that quiet time with God even further behind. This violates the principle of Sabbath. I'm not offended when people fall asleep at church. I'm not. Sometimes a sermon is long. Sometimes it is boring. But an awful lot of times, the reason you're disengaged or asleep at church is because you're so overloaded everywhere else and the, t- the effort and the energy it takes to engage here, you don't have it. You don't have that e- energy because you spend it everywhere else. And you say, I'll just get there and I'll sit through it and I'll do my time and I'll go. And you're not engaged at all. It takes work to engage in worship, y'all. 
It takes some energy and effort to be able to fully function in here, to remember every word and think about every word that you're singing, every word that's prayed, every word that you hear from Scripture, every thought that the preacher's trying to get across to you from Scripture. It takes energy to do that, and I'm not fully responsible for you going to sleep. Sometimes it's because you're too stinking busy everywhere else. And if you stayed up till 3 o'clock in the morning playing video games and you fall asleep here, it is not my fault. There's some preparation involved to what goes on here. And I just see a lot of us running like crazy, burning our candle at both ends, and then we don't have any time to replenish and refresh our souls. Whose fault is that? It's because we've dismissed Sabbath too easily. The Sabbath principle is still in effect. What is going on in worship matters. We work hard and we play hard and we keep ourselves so occupied that we can't give our best to God at all. And when you do have time, you've got to binge watch to catch up on that whole series on Netflix. I hear people say, you know, I just don't have time for it, but they've watched every episode of Friends three times. That's not Sabbath. That's not the rest God had in mind. Now, I'm not going to give you rules and regulations about this. Valley View is not going to list you a bunch of things that you can and can't do. That's what the Pharisees did, and that's where they went wrong, and we've learned our lesson. We're not going to be regulators, and we're not going to be policemen for this. But God does tell us there's a rhythm of life that we need to honor. To be like God, you've got to have time to reflect on Him and to become like Him by spending time with Him. No binge-watching is going to do that, even if you're not doing any physical labor. Rest is not necessarily refraining from any physical activity. Rest is being able to spend some unstructured time with God and letting Him remind you where your value is, what your purpose is. If you can go to the flower garden for some of you and put your hands in that dirt, and you st- while you're doing that and tilling that ground that way and planting stuff, you're thinking of God and His creation and what He thinks about you, you're not violating Sabbath at all. You're keeping it. You're honoring that Sabbath by doing that thing. For some of you, it's mowing a yard. I like getting on a zero turn and mowing yard. I love it. It's not work to me. It's the time where God and I just have a talk and no other voices are around me at all. And you're going to say, well, that's work. No, not for me. You've got to find something where you can reconnect with God like this. And it's part of our job. It's part of who we are as Christians, spending time with Him. I think the fear is this. When life slows down and you don't have something to fill it with, you don't so much get bored as you get sad. You get sad thinking, is this it? Is this it? I've got to fill this with something. This is uncomfortable. I don't like this. I don't know what to do with this unstructured time. I don't know what to do with it, so I've got to put something in there. I can't sit idle. I can't be calm. I can't connect with God like this because I don't know how to pray like this, and so I fill it with something to keep those thoughts at bay. You know what God's wanting you to do? He wants to give you rest, but you don't want to take it. You don't want it. But he says, if you'll take some time to replenish your soul and your heart and your mind, I will whisper to you that I adore you as you are. But it's, you got to give me time. You got to give me the ability 
to come in your still moments when you give me a chance. And I don't do this immediately. I make you think there for a time. And then I'm going to tell you how fond I am of you and how much I accept you and how much I delight in you. And I'm going to remind you, no, you're not a bad parent if you don't enter your kid in every stinking sport there is to give him a chance to become a Major League Baseball player. Sometimes by not letting him do that and by giving your family some time to actually eat at the table together, sometimes that's where your value is. And God wants to say you don't have to keep going. And busyness is not a badge. And Busyness doesn't prove your value. You don't have to be busy every time, and you don't have to be accomplishing something every time. Sometimes you can sit and feel the pleasure of God, but only when you sit. You don't give them a chance. We schedule every moment, and we miss out on the affirmation of God. And the thing that we long to hear the most, we sabotage hearing it because we load ourselves with so much stuff. Jesus says, come to me, I will give you rest, and then I'll put my commands on you, and you'll find rest this way. And that's why when chapter 12 opens up, it says, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. What was Jesus doing in the grain fields on the Sabbath? His disciples were hungry. They're walking. Do you get this picture? Jesus and the disciples, there's 12 of them, and they're walking through a grain field. What are they doing out there? Now, you do know this, right? That some people, if they're out in the grain field picking out grain, they are working. Is that true? But the disciples are out there with Jesus walking through a grain field picking some of the grain and eating it, and they're not working. Same actions, two different people. One of them, they're keeping Sabbath, and one they're violating. You can't tell just by looking. You cannot tell just by looking whether they're violating the Sabbath. or not. This is important. Hold on to that for just a second. What are they doing out there? Well, they're not the only ones because the Pharisees' paparazzi are there. You see them? But when the Pharisees saw it, how in the world did they see Jesus and the disciples out in the grain field? Because they were watching them. It seems to me that Jesus and the disciples, which Jesus calls them, notice, I want you to look at this, verse 5, he calls them guiltless. He says the disciples are innocent. They are honoring Sabbath. They're not violating it. Whatever they're doing out in that field, Jesus and the disciples are not violating the Sabbath. They are honoring it. Same actions that could be violating it are actually iron, are, are, are honoring it. So here they are out in this field, and they go picking, and they eat it, and uh, the Pharisees come up right then, I caught you, I got you, and I'm thinking, it's not following somebody and trying to catch them. Is that not more work than walking through the... Anyway, they come up and say, we caught you, we caught you. You shouldn't be eating on the Sabbath. That's work. When you, pl- you, when you, when you pick it, and you kind of ground it in your hand, and you eat it, that's called picking and harvesting, and you can't do that on the Sabbath. It's unlawful. Jesus says it's not unlawful. Who's right? I mean, obviously the answer, always at church, the answer is Jesus. Okay, so let's, let's get better at this. Who's right? It's Jesus, of course. It's not unlawful. He's not breaking a law. He's breaking a bunch of traditions the Pharisees had created. Breaking tradition and breaking Scripture are not the same thing. And we in churches of Christ need to get better at this. You go to some church on vacation and they do things different, 
Lord's Supper is a little different. Maybe they come up to the front. Maybe they do it after the sermon to keep people from leaving. I don't know why they're doing it. But don't walk out saying, well, they're all wrong. They do it different. They broken tradition that you're used to, but that's not breaking Scripture. And let us be discerning to know the difference. Let's be better at this. A lot of our name-calling and our, our getting mad at each other over the years has been this. We do things different. But when they say it's unlawful, Jesus says, no, it's not unlawful. They've done nothing wrong. They have honored the Sabbath. They aren't working. They're out here with me, and we're talking kingdom stuff, and we're getting connecting with God. That's what this is all about in the first place. He's innocent. Because you can't really know what something's going on in somebody's mind. I've got to repent of some sermons in the past. I mean, the sermon's about... If you go deer hunting and you're not in church on Sunday morning, you're going to hell, forsaking the assembly. How many have heard that sermon? Anybody heard it? I've given it. Not exactly. Not, not, not really, but something like that. And so God says rest is in the mind, and I want you to re- reconnect with me. And so a group of men go out, in the, they go out in the deer woods. When I first got to Kennett, we had a preacher who was really annoyed by this when the attendance went down at deer season. Drove him crazy. And when he left, we, we announced that he became a missionary to the deer woods. Is what we decided. He, he just decided, I'm just going to do two weeks of ministry in the deer woods, convincing them they're wrong. And I said, whatever you do, wear camouflage. Anyway, so anyway. anyway so as, as, I want you to think about this. These guys go out in the deer woods. They connect in nature. Most of you who go out in the deer woods know that you're more for, you do more resting than hunting anyway, right? <laughs> I mean, so, so you go out in the deer woods and, and you and this group gather around and you have this campfire out there and you eat this great breakfast before you go out there and then you gather around and you have your Lord's Supper with you. The sermon's not near as good as at Valley View. I understand that. Um, but you have a devotional and you sing songs And just for good measure, you sing, there's a stirring, just to make everybody happy. And you pray, and you connect with God. And it's not with a nice suit and tie. It's not in a church building. It's not at the top of a hill. It's not in a pew. It's not an hour and 15 minutes structured. But you connect with God, and then you go out, and you spend some quiet time in nature. And you are Sabbath-worshiping. And I'm not going to make you feel guilty about that. The days of that need to be over. And, and if you are on, uh, you're, you're on a ball team and you're out in a tournament over the weekend and they have a ball, and I hate that they schedule it, but hey, this is the world we live in. They schedule it for 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. And you can't make it to any congregation because of the times. What do you do? And so you make an invitation to anybody, come to your hotel room, and we're going to spend 30 minutes with our Lord's Supper and connecting with God, and then we're going to go and play ball. Is it the ideal? I don't know. It could be one of the most refreshing experiences of your life, and it could be that some people, that's the only kind of time they see God at all because you invite them to it. And you have been faithful to the Sabbath and to worship. And while some people will look at you and criticize, I'm going to look at you and say, you know, you've done everything you need to do to connect with God right here. Now, if if I hear that some of you went out in the backyard next Sunday and you build a little fire in your backyard and you go out in your pajamas and you do a three-minute devotional and you come in and you say, Spencer said this was okay, that's going to violate Sabbath. 
You know, I mean, here's the thing. It can look almost the same and we get mad about it because it's not what we're used to and what we think is right and what everybody needs to do. If you're doing what you need to do and you're connecting with God and you're doing those things that please Him, even if it looks a little different than you normally would on Sunday morning, it still counts. Quit harping on this all the time. It's what happens in your head, and I have no idea what's in your head sometimes. And I can call it to your attention, but I can't judge you for it. And then I've got to acknowledge these illustrations. Just a couple of them in here that I, I don't know how to put them in here, but Jesus says to him, I says, have you not read what David did? Now David one day was running from Saul. He had to up and run real quickly. And so he's running and he stops at where the tabernacle is and the priest is. And they're having a change of the showbread. They take the showbread off the table and they bring it out and the priests are supposed to eat it and they're the only ones who are supposed to eat it. But David comes in and he says, that's the only food that's here. My men are hungry and it's David, the anointed of God. And the, he asked the priest if it would be okay to kind of break the rules a little bit because of the, the fact that the, David is asking for the sake of human need. I don't know if the priests consult God or not, but they go ahead and give him the bread and he eats it. Now, only priests are supposed to eat this, but David does it, no harm, no foul, and he goes on. The moral is not because there's an exception to the rule, there's no longer a rule. Too many people look at this and say, well, David did it, so now anybody can do it. That's not the moral. The moral is David, the anointed of God, asked, and God allowed it. And now Jesus, the anointed of God, is doing this, and it's okay. He goes on then to say, and by the way, on Sabbath, the people who work the most are the people offering sacrifices in the temple. I love this one because Brandon Holt got this last week. I love this. We talked about Sabbath Sunday night. I come to the back and he says, well, that's weird. How can you say you can't work on the Sabbath when everybody working at church would work? He, he said it like this. He said, that's funny. Nobody can work on the Sabbath, but that's the only day that the preachers work. Brandon, I see you jerk I hear that all the time but it's true you think about it those people worked harder on the Sabbath than any other day but God said that's part of the whole process and so those people were exempted Jesus just comes along and he says you guys are missing this entire thing and sometimes I wonder if we do too we're so busy looking at the way we're used to doing it that we judge people who aren't doing it the same way we are and we discount it all, and we miss the whole point of the whole thing. And he goes on to another story that wasn't read earlier, beginning of verse 9. He went on from there, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? This is a stupid question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They have this guy with a withered hand right there, and you're going to use him as a test case. Here's this guy, throw him out there and say, this guy right here, if, can you heal him on the Sabbath or not? Why don't you wait till tomorrow? The, the power for healing comes from God. So if God gives Jesus the power to heal on the Sabbath, it must mean it's okay. How would God allow you to heal on the Sabbath if it was wrong? It's a crazy question. Jesus says, it's so they can accuse him, he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Or how, how much value is a man more than a sheep? By the way, for animal activists... Did you get this? A man is more valuable than a sheep. 
but a sheep is very valuable. It's worth helping on the Sabbath. Animals are valuable, but human beings are above that. And so he says, I'm going to help this guy, and he needs some help. So it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. When he'd said to the man, stretch out your hand, and the man stretched out, and he was restored healthy like the other, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how, to, how they might kill him. Now here's the funny thing. Can you do a good deed on the Sabbath? If your parents are old and you, they call you and they say to you on the Sabbath, your dad just fell. I can't get him out of this, this can't, can't get him out of the floor and I need some help. And it's the Sabbath and you can only travel so far and you can only do so much and your heart rate can only go so high. Do you just say, well, feed him in the floor till tomorrow? Is that what the Jews were supposed to do? No! It's never wrong to do a merciful, kind thing that's in need. It's never wrong to do this. He says, you guys are missing the point completely. If you see a sheep, you know, if one of your sheep gets stuck somewhere, you'll go get it out. That's expected on the Sabbath. You can help people on the Sabbath day. I think this changes a story in Scripture. I think the Good Samaritan story needs to be changed a little bit. Do you know why the two Jews passed them by? It was the Sabbath day. It was the Sabbath day. And not only would they become unclean and disqualify themselves from worship that they were going to, but it would be work. That's a double whammy. We can't help you. Maybe tomorrow we'll come back. Listen, if you're on your way to church, and you say you're supposed to be teaching Bible class, an adult Bible class or a kid's Bible class, and you're on your way to church and there's this fiery wreck and somebody's trapped, don't you dare come to church without stopping to help that person. I'd be embarrassed beyond all get out if the reason you didn't stop and help somebody is because you had Bible class to get to. On the other hand, don't drive around town looking for accidents. You see the difference? You see the difference? It can be the same act. I mean, you can't know. <coughs> the rules are in effect for a reason to give you some general guidelines, but there's always mercy and there's always grace. And we're to look at each other and think about how we can help and, and be a person who's honoring God's intention for this. If you don't see a difference, you're missing the point. So the some of you, if we're talking about worship and you're out in Deer Woods somewhere and you have a worship service that's a little bit shorter, a little bit less smooth or polished, but you're getting right with God and using that time to reflect on them, you're not violating this. But it could be that if you are on a fishing trip somewhere just for fun, you might be. I don't know that I can judge that or want to. My one question for the Pharisees is, how can you go out and plot how you can murder somebody on the Sabbath, but you can't heal them? The story ends. The Pharisees went out and conspired against him how they could destroy him. They could plot a plan to kill Jesus on the Sabbath. You can't heal a withered person and you can't pick any heads of grain and eat them. They have just... I pray that we don't. Yeah, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, but that doesn't mean avoiding all unbelievers. Yes, maintain your spiritual purity, but no, 
Don't refrain from being salt and light in those environments you're in. Yes, make worship a priority, but if you're a nurse and you have to work, that's a ministry too, and you should not feel guilty. And just a couple of weeks ago this happened. We were handing out potluck teams, right? All those potluck teams, there's 10 of them. By the way, potluck team number two, you have Saturday night, right? Everybody knows that. It's in the bulletin. But here's the funny thing is I've left some names off those potluck teams. Some of the people who've done this for years and years, and you know it, they, you just think, you know what? They don't have the stamina to do this. They've done this for years and years. Let's not put them on there. Alfreda Davis, for instance. She's over here. I went to see her the other day. It was weird hat day, or so she said, at the nursing home. And she was eating with something on her head I could not identify exactly, dangling snowflakes from her Christmas tree. And nobody else was wearing anything on their head. I think she got her days messed up, but you give her an A for effort. That one weird lady that day. Anyway, so she comes up two Sundays ago and says, my name is not on a potluck team. The only people who will bring it up to me and complain about not being on a, on a team are those people who think that no matter what you do, they should have to work too. I love that. So did Evelyn Robinson. I didn't tell her that, though. I told her if she will bring me one piece of coconut cream pie every single potluck day, she doesn't have to serve on a committee. That's what I told her. But, but the idea is that we've got this whole thing of work, right? Uh, all this stuff is, is like we've got worship attendance. We need to be here, and I'm going to stress this. You need to be here if you can. But if you have to work and be away, don't feel guilty for it. Work your heart out and serve the Lord that way. Yes, I think you should worship correctly, but I think you should also be nice to people who don't. All these things. It's so easy to miss the point of Sabbath and every other thing in Scripture because the traditions we often build around them. And sometimes, by the way we observe the commands of God, we actually violate them if we're not careful. We miss the point. So don't come up after church as you're leaving today and say, are you saying it's okay to miss on Sunday? Don't say, do you really think we're under the Sabbath? Don't say that because I'm going to go, you just missed it. Is Bible class really optional? I'm just going to look at you and say, that's not the point. Let's strive to be a people who major on and capture the intent of God and the things he says to us. And if we do, Jesus says, if you do, properly put the yoke of the commands of God on you, you will find yourself restful. Not constantly suspicious, not constantly judgmental, not judging everybody. You'll find yourself resting. Let's be a church that finds Jesus, that puts his yoke on, and that's a restful church, just as he intended. If you need to respond this morning, it could be as simple as, you know what, I've never responded to God before, and I've never decided to put Christ on, in the, uh, on by saying His name as my Lord, saying He's the Lord of my life, He's going to be in charge of my life, and being immersed in the waters. If you've never done that, God asks us to do it for a reason, to have your sins washed away, and to proclaim yourself as a child of His. If you've done all that, and for whatever reason, it seems like your faith has become burdensome, you become a judgmental person and you've lost what Jesus intended, that restfulness, there's a way to reorient your vision again. There's a way to come and repent of your sins and confess that you want 
the yoke of Christ that gives you rest. That's available too. Whatever may be the need that you have, make it known as we stand and as we sing.